0: The following sermon, entitled Gifts from the Ascended Christ, 19th in the series on the Book of Ephesians, the Blessed Church of Christ, was preached on the evening of May fifteenth, two 2022, at Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Redlands, California. If you enjoy listening to our sermons, we encourage you to come worship with us. For more information on upcoming service times and Bible study opportunities, please visit our website at hopeprc.org. Let's open God's word this evening to 1 Corinthians chapter twelve. First Corinthians chapter twelve, we read this chapter in connection with our series on the book of Ephesians as we consider Ephesians four verses seven through ten tonight as the text for the sermon. We will read the whole of the chapter. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Ye know that ye were Gentiles, carried away unto these dumb idols, even as ye were led. Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. There are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy. To another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and self and the self same spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that. One body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? But now are there many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee. Nor, again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that which lacked. That there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. And God hath set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers. After that, miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. Thus far we read God's Word. The text for this evening's sermon is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. Ephesians 4, verses 7 through 10. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things. Blessed unity and glorious diversity. Both are characteristics of the church of Christ. On the one hand, there is a blessed unity that is one of the attributes of the church of Christ. And it's that unity that we have seen really throughout this book that is Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Paul has been emphasizing by the inspiration of the Spirit that Whether we are Jew or Gentile, having been reconciled to God, we now have peace with one another. We are all, we've all been incorporated into this one house of our God that's being built throughout the ages. And that unity was on the foreground in the passage that we considered last time, Ephesians 4 verses 1 through 6, where Paul taught us that there is One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all. That is, we are one because all of us share together in these same things. It was in that connection that we saw the calling that flows out of that, namely, because you are one, because you've been unified, now live like it. Endeavor to manifest and to maintain that unity. So there's a blessed unity that characterizes the church. On the other hand, there is also at the same time a glorious diversity. And that diversity comes out especially in... The verses we now consider, Paul begins verse 7 by inspiration, but unto every one of us is given grace. And that word but is indicating there's a a contrast here. And the contrast is between that unity that we just saw, what we all share together, and that which makes us unique, That, that which makes us distinct from one another. That which makes it so that there's diversity in the church of Christ. And the specific thing that the Apostle Paul has in view here are the diversities of gifts. The fact that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ gives different abilities, different graces to His people, and that in different measures. And He gives these to us as our ascended Lord who sits on His throne in heaven. And He gives them to us with a view to the church manifesting that unity and so that that unity might ultimately be served. And it's that diversity of gifts from our ascended Lord that we want to look at tonight. So tonight, we consider Ephesians 4, 7-10 through 10, using as our theme, gifts, gifts, From our ascended Christ. First, we'll look at the gifts themselves. Second, at the giver, namely our ascended Christ. And then third, the purpose of these gifts. Children, are you familiar with the song? Have you been taught to sing from time to time? I'm something special. I'm the only one of my kind. God gave me a body and a bright, healthy mind. He has a special purpose that He wanted me to find. So He made me something special. I'm the only one of my kind. Perhaps you've never heard those lyrics in all of your life, but I trust at least some of you are familiar with them. And there's something to them. Certainly, there can be a wrong understanding and a wrong application of that children's hymn, so that we twist it to say, Well, I'm so special, I'm so great, so that the song only feeds our pride and a sense of narcissism. But there is a proper way to understand those lyrics. And that proper understanding is recognizing that God does make each one of His people unique. Each one of His people distinct from the other. He gives unique gifts, unique abilities to each member of the overall body of Christ. And we say that's biblical because that's the teaching of this passage of Scripture that is the text for tonight's sermon as well as the passage of Scripture that we read. This passage teaches that God gives to us different gifts. Verse 7, "...but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ." And now based on especially the subsequent context, it's clear that when the Apostle Paul by inspiration speaks of grace here, he's not talking about forgiving grace or saving grace, but grace in the sense of certain endowments that He gives to His people, thereby equipping them, enabling them to serve in the church. He's talking about our gifts and abilities. And we say that especially when we interpret Scripture in light of the rest of Scripture. When we look at other passages such as the one that we read, 1 Corinthians 12 speaks of this same truth. In verse 1, the Apostle Paul mentions now concerning spiritual gifts. I would not have you ignorant. In verse 4, he says, Now there are diversities of gifts. And then he goes on to talk about those different gifts. We have this same idea found in Romans chapter 12. Romans 12, verses 4 and following. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy in the lists different gifts. And it's from these passages that we see Scripture makes a point of this. God gives different gifts and abilities. And He gives those in different measures to each one of us. The language that's, found here in Romans 12, verse 6, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7, he speaks of being given this grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. That is, when Christ bestows these gifts upon His people, He does not necessarily give the exact same set of gifts to every last single individual in the church. And even when there are gift the same gift given to the different individuals, at times the the measure of that gift is different for the different individuals in the church. And this is a part of what makes us unique, special to use the words of that song. But though there is this diversity so that there, some have strengths in certain areas, others Strengths where others might be weak. It's important to notice that Christ gives these gifts to all who are members of His body. And that's what the text especially emphasizes. In verse 7, we do not read, but unto some is given grace. Not... Unto most is given this grace, but unto every one of us is given this grace. And the King James rightly puts those words, every one of us, each and every one of us, at the outset of the sentence in that it's reflecting, it's following the word order in the original Greek. And for the original Greek to start with each and every one is to emphasize That no one is excluded in the body of Christ when it comes to the allotting of these different spiritual gifts. So that just as every part of our physical bodies has some function and purpose, even if scientists and doctors have yet to discover that purpose, so too with the spiritual body that is the body of Christ Every member, every body part has a specific place, a specific function, a specific purpose. And along with that, Christ gives the gifts, thereby equipping each member to serve in that particular place in the church. But now so far, perhaps this seems a bit abstract. What are these gifts? What are we talking about here? Well, Scripture does give us some direction as to what it has in mind. It includes the gifts given to men, equipping them for the special offices. And we say that in light of what follows in Ephesians 4, specifically verse 11, when it says, and He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers... Well that instruction follows on the heels of verse 7 saying he's given to some the gifts to serve in these special offices. He's given them the qualifications. He's equipped them to serve in that way. That's a part of the the gifts that are view, in view here. There's gifts for the body as a whole. The passages that we've been alluding to in Romans 12 and 1st Corinthians 12 both speak of different gifts. Romans 12 verses 8 and following I'm in 1 Corinthians 1 Corinthians 12 verse 8 and following for to one is given by the spirit the word of wisdom to another the word of knowledge by the same spirit to another faith by the same spirit to another the gifts of healing by the same spirit to another the working of miracles to another prophecy to another Discerning of spirits to another diverse kinds of tongues to another the interpretation of tongues. Romans 12, verses 6 and following speaks of gifts of prophecy, gifts of ministry, gifts of teaching, of exhorting, of giving, and so on. But now perhaps you still wonder, well, how does any of that apply to me? Because admittedly, these lists that are provided for us in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 are put in language that has special application for the apostolic era. The time when there were still miracles being performed and thus do not have direct application to us. But notice that we're direct. They still do have application. Because we can take these various gifts and Apply them still today. So that still today, we are given the gift of prophecy, not in the sense that God reveals His Word directly to us, but all of us are given the gift, the ability to understand the Word of God and to speak that Word to each other. Some are given the gift of ministry. And think not minister of the Gospel, but ministry in the sense of service. That's the idea of that word. Some are given the gift whereby they're ready and willing to get down on their hands and knees to perform the lowliest task to serve the other members of the body of Christ. To others are given the gift of teaching. The church needs teachers whether they are Christian school teachers, whether they are Sunday school teachers, whether they are teachers in the home that is parents who faithfully instruct their children. That's a gift that Christ gives to His church. His gifts include a strong faith. A faith that's not easily shaken by the storms of life. A faith that Makes one willing to endure the trials that come upon us and thereby even comfort and encourage others when those difficulties come and to instill confidence in the other members who might be shaken, who might be troubled. The passage mentioned wisdom. That's another gift. The, the gift of being able to give good counsel, good direction and guidance to those who stand in need of it. There's the gift of healing. Healing. Not in the sense of performing some miracle whereby someone with a physical disease is made better necessarily, but it is a gift when you are able to bind up a broken heart and to heal a wounded soul by your sympathetic presence, by a listening ear, by comforting words. There's the gift. Of speaking in tongues, not in the sense that we can all of a sudden speak some foreign language, but in the sense that we can relate to others who are not like us. We're comfortable welcoming the visitor who walks through the doors of the church who's never set foot in this church before. Different gifts. Different abilities that Christ gives to His church. And regarding these different gifts, abilities, these graces, it's important that we have a proper attitude concerning them. And that proper attitude has to do with the gifts and abilities God has given to each one of us as individuals, as well as our attitude concerning the gifts and abilities He's given to others. With regard to the gifts that He's given to each one of us, for those who have been given a large measure of different gifts, we must not allow that to become the occasion for pride. And we say that because Scripture itself warns against being proud of one's own gifts and abilities. That's Romans 12, verse 3. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Scripture addresses this because this is a temptation for us. Temp- we are tempted to be filled with pride of a An inordinate sense of self-importance of thinking, well, I might as well be God's gift to the church because look how gifted I am. Or, that pride can come to expression in using those gifts for the sake of being seen of men so that others would think well of me, so that others would speak well of me. over against such pride, we must remember these abilities, these graces are gifts. Unto you, every one of us, is given this grace. It's a gift. And it's the recognition that these things are indeed gifts in the sense of they've been freely given to us. That is the remedy for pride. And again, Scripture itself teaches us this. 1 Corinthians 4 Verses 6 and 7, the Apostle Paul says that ye might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up for one against another. For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now, if thou didst receive it, that is, if it was a gift, why dost thou glory? Why are you filled with pride as if thou hadst not received it? That is, as though it had its source in you. It's when we forget that these abilities are indeed gifts given to us and begin to suppose that they instead have their source within us, that's when we will be tempted to be filled with pride. The remedy is to remember they are indeed gifts. But now what if one's assessment of himself or herself is that I am not all that gifted? Well, insofar as that is our view, we must be reminded that every member in the church is important. No one who is a member of the church should conclude, I'm really not that important. I'm a worthless member. And no one should conclude that because Scripture itself addresses that type of thinking. It does so in First Corinthians 12, verses 15 through 18. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 15, If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now God hath set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him the apostle paul goes on to say in verse 22 nay much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary and the point being that each and every single member has a place remember ephesians 4 says to each and every one of us is given this grace there's no one who's excluded there's no exceptions here And that means we may not conclude. We must not conclude. Well, I'm not that important. I I don't have very many gifts. You do. And insofar as you feel that they're lacking, then remember that these gifts are things that are not just static, but they're things that grow. These are things we should cultivate. Things we should develop. And the best way to do that is by using them. We'll have more to say about that in the third point. All of that has to do with our attitude, our view of the gifts that God has given to each one of us. Whether we recognize He's given us many gifts, we must not be proud. Or whether we feel as though we have a shortage of gifts, we must not despair. Now, there's also instruction concerning the gifts that God has given to others. That is, when I see gifts or a lack of gifts outside of myself and the other members of the church, what's my viewpoint there? On the one hand, for those who believe or recognize God has given them many gifts, they must not have a condescending attitude toward the other members of the church. That is, we must never be guilty uh, guilty of holding others in contempt, of having an attitude of disdain for the other members. 1 Corinthians 12 again, verses 20 and 21 now. But now there are many members, yet but one body, and the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. That is, no member of the church of Christ may look at another member and say, who needs him? We'd be better off without those people. Certainly wouldn't miss them if they left. It's a sinful attitude. We must never conclude that another member of the church is worthless, that we would be perfectly fine without them. And insofar as we perceive a lack of gifts, or excuse me, insofar as we perceive in others' uh, a great measure of gifts, then the application is that we must not be envious of them. That is, we must not be jealous of the gifts of others. Instead, we are to trust the wisdom of our Savior who has bestowed to each one of us the, the perfect allotment, the perfect measure of these gifts. And it's when we trust that, that we can confess, as we were saying earlier, Though in a lowly station, the service of my Lord, I choose above all pleasures that sinful ways afford. So we've been given gifts, abilities, endowments of grace whereby we are able to serve. But now where do these come from? What's the source? Well, the giver of these gifts is very simply our ascended Lord Jesus Christ. The giver, And that becomes clear in this passage. It's hinted at in the way that verse 7 is put, but unto every one of us is given. It's in the passive, indicating these gifts are coming from someone else. Someone is giving them to us, and the one giving them to us is Christ Himself. Verse 7 ends, according to the measure of the gift of Christ. And those words, the gift of Christ are not the gift given to Christ, But the gift that comes from Christ, the the gift that he himself gives. And that's the point the Apostle Paul drives home and proves from Scripture by quoting from the Old Testament in verse 8. Verse 8, we read, Wherefore he saith, that is, he's quoting from the Old Testament Scriptures, when he ascended up on high, He led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. The Apostle Paul is quoting here from Psalm 68, verse 18. This is a passage that speaks about God entering into Zion to dwell there. And He's entering as a a conquering king. One who's come back from war with the spoils of war in His possession. And the Spirit leads the Apostle Paul to take this passage about God, Psalm 68, verse 18, and apply it to Christ. Which all by itself is a proof of the deity of Christ. That Old Testament passages about God can be applied to the man Jesus Christ show He is indeed the Son of God. But that's not the main point here. The main point is that this then is proof that Christ is the one who gives these gifts. The end of verse 8, and He gave gifts unto men. So Christ is the giver. But now we can become more specific than that because we, in light of this passage of Scripture, we need to add that He gives us these gifts as our ascended Lord. Lord as our ascended Lord. And we say that because of all the references to His ascension. Psalm 68, verse 18 is talking about Christ's ascension. It's prophetic of ascension. When He ascended up on high, He led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. And the Apostle Paul goes on to speak of His ascension in verses 9 and 10. Now that He ascended. in verse 10, He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all things. And these references to Christ's ascension in connection with talking about the giving of the gifts is meant to teach us something. Namely, Christ gives these gifts as our ascended Lord. He gives these gifts as the one who sits enthroned above. He showers them down upon His people. He does so through the work of His Spirit. And this is something He can do only as our ascended Lord. And he has the right and ability to do this, to bestow these gifts exactly because he received them for his willingness to descend into this world to accomplish our salvation. And you will notice I stated that He received these gifts. And we put it that way in light of the specific language of Psalm 68, verse 18. We've been quoting from it, but it's worth turning to the psalm itself. Psalm 68, verse 18, reads this way, Thou hast ascended on high. Thou hast led captivity captive. Thou hast received gifts for men, yea, for the rebellious also, Thou, that the Lord God might dwell among them. Here, it's put in the second person, Thou hast ascended, referring to God. But we have already explained, well, in Ephesians 4, it's put in the third person, He, because it's being applied to Christ. But you'll notice there's another difference here. Namely, in Psalm 68, verse 18, we read, Thou hast received gifts for men. In Ephesians 4, verse 7, it's thou hast given. So in the one, it's received. In the other, it's given. And we have an apparent problem here. How are we to explain this difference? Did the Apostle Paul misquote the psalm? Or worse, is he twisting the psalm? Is he manipulating the Word of God to apply it to his own purpose, to his own end? There are some who have reached that conclusion. For those who want to attack the doctrine of the inspiration of Scripture, this is one of the examples they point to. See, here's the evidence. These two passages contradict. The Apostle Paul cannot even be trusted to quote from the Old Testament. Therefore, you cannot say this is the Word of God. You cannot say this is the product of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Well, over again such unbelief, because that's what it is, there is a ready solution, a ready answer to this apparent problem And the solution, the answer is this, that the Apostle Paul is unfolding the compacted meaning that is there in Psalm 68, verse 18 when he applies it to Christ. For as we said, Psalm 68, verse 18 is talking about God coming into Zion as the conquering king, as the one who has just defeated his enemies and having defeated his enemies, has the spoils of war in his possession. Well, what's implied in that is that this conquering king is going to take those spoils and give them to others. He doesn't take all the spoils for himself, but he takes them, that is, he receives them, with a view to distributing them. And when the Apostle Paul, by the inspiration of the Spirit, applies Psalm 68 verse 18 to Christ, he recognized that. And in applying it, and that's really what he's doing, he's not so much quoting the psalm as he is applying the psalm. When he applies it, he does so recognizing that Christ first received these gifts and then gives them. And that's the whole point. That's how the two passages are brought together. When Christ ascended on high up into heaven, He did so as the conquering King. And He did so with the spoils of war, war as it were, in His possession. He did not come back empty-handed. But He came having earned all the blessings of salvation, including these gifts that we've been talking about, so that He might give them. So that He might distribute them. Well, How did He earn them? By descending into this world to accomplish our salvation. And that's why the Apostle Paul not only speaks of Christ's ascension into heaven, but also speaks of His descension in this same passage. Back to the text in Ephesians 4, verses 9 and 10, we read, Now that He ascended, what is it but that He also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that He might fill all things. Speaks of His descension. And what is interesting here is that again, by inspiration of the Spirit, the Apostle Paul recognizes that Christ's ascension implies, really demands, that He first of all, descended. That is, That comes out in the language. Verse 9, Now that He ascended, what is it that is What's implied in this? What's being stated thereby when we read that He ascended? This. What is it but that He also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? That is, in this particular case, for this one to ascend means He first had to descend. And we say in this particular case because there's others who ascended without having first descended. Think of Elijah. He was brought up into heaven by that chariot. But Elijah was a mere man. We're talking about the One who is God. Remember, that's a starting point. The Apostle Paul is taking a passage about God, Psalm 68, verse 18, applying it to Christ. And for one who is God, to ascend, to go from earth to heaven implies, demands even, that He first descended. He first came down from heaven into this earth. And that descension is a reference to the whole of Christ's humiliation. That's how we are to understand this descension. There's debate among commentators. What's in view here? Is it just His coming into this earth? Is it a reference to His burial? Is it a reference to His descent into hell? And I believe it's best to take it as representative of the whole of His state of humiliation because the passage speaks of the fact that He descended first into the lower parts of the earth. If it just said into the earth, then we would say, yes, it's talking about His incarnation. But that it adds into the lower parts of the earth indicates what's in view here is His suffering, His humiliation, And all that that included. But now, why does the Spirit bring this up? Exactly because it was by first descending that Christ earned the blessings of salvation which include these gifts and abilities we're talking about tonight. His saving work is in view here. His lowly birth. His lifelong suffering. His willingness to die and to have His blessed body buried in the grave. That's how He merited our salvation. It's on the basis of that saving work that He not only has the right to be exalted, to ascend up into heaven, but it's also on the basis of that that He purchased, He earned All the gifts, all the blessings that He now freely bestows upon His church. They're given to Him as His due reward. So that we again see He receives these gifts from God Himself. The One who is the source of these gifts. And God the Father gives them to the Son who becomes the the treasury of these gifts. And having received them, He now gives. He distributes. And He does so in such a way that He fills His church. That's the language at the end of verse 10. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that He might fill all things. And when this verse speaks of Him filling all things, it's not a reference to Him filling all things physically. That is, with His flesh and His blood. That's how the Lutherans would interpret this passage in support of their doctrine of the ubiquity of Christ's body. They would say it's talking about filling all things from a physical point of view so that Christ's physical body is now omnipresent. That's not the teaching of Scripture. But instead, we understand this passage in light of the context. Filling in what sense? Well, filling in the sense of the distributing of these gifts, these graces, these abilities, these endowments that He gives to the members of the church so that they might serve Him. And note well that word fill. Christ Himself is the One in whom all fullness dwells. And out of His own fullness, He now fills up the church. He completes the church. He fills us up as individuals. He fills us up as congregations so that we have all the different body parts, so that we have all the different gifts, all the different abilities, so that we can function as a body, as a complete manifestation of the body of Christ. And that's comforting. That's comforting in light of our recent history as a congregation. And that over the last number of months, we've slowly lost a family here, a family there, a couple at another date. And that's been painful. We all feel that, and a part of the pain is that we've been losing members of the body to use the language of first corinthians twelve we've lost an eye and an ear, a hand, and a foot we've lost we're- we were missing. Body parts, as it were. That's a large part of the pain. But now the comfort of this passage is that because Christ gives these gifts, He's able to fill us. To complete us. And now that does not mean He's going to see to it that other members join the church from outside to replace the members that we lost. That's not the point. But the point is, He will work in us. He will continue to bestow these graces, these gifts upon the church. He will continue to work in us so that we use these gifts and graces to serve one another in the church so that whereas, so that while there may be for a time Avoid here and avoid there. Those things do get filled over time. That will happen. That will be part of the healing that Christ brings for this congregation. And He will bring about that healing again by working in us so that we use these gifts, to serve the body. Because that is the purpose. The purpose that Christ has in view for giving us these gifts. Christ's purpose in bestowing these gifts upon the different members of the church is that we use them for the advantage and salvation of the other members of the body. And that's the teaching of Scripture. That's implied in verse 8 when it says, When he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. And we could translate those last words for men, that is, in the sense of for the advantage of men and not just those who are given the gifts, but for the whole of the body. It's also made explicit in verses. Verse 12, for example, we'll consider this next time in our series. What's the purpose of these gifts? For the perfecting of the saints. For the work of the ministry. For the edifying of the body. Same truth expressed in verse 16. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7 speaks of these gifts being given for the profit withal That is, for the common good. The common good of the body. And it's on the basis of these passages and many others that our Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 21 speaks of using our gifts and abilities for the advantage and salvation of the other members of the church. That's the purpose of them. Not that we use these gifts for our own glory, for our own self-advancement, not so that we squander these gifts and let them go to waste, so that we take them and serve our ascended Lord. Press them into the service of His kingdom and the advancement of His kingdom by serving His body. And that includes using our gifts to manifest and to maintain the unity that we have You see, this passage is not unrelated to verses one through six. Verses one through six set before us the blessed unity that we have. And in that passage we were called endeavor to keep the unity, and now verses seven and following are not an altogether new thought. But instead, verses 7 and following teach us the diversity that is found within that overall unity and teaches us that we are to use our gifts, use our abilities for the manifesting, for the maintaining of that unity. The point being made here is that each and every member has been equipped to contribute to that unity. to contribute to that oneness. And it's when that happens, when each and every member different as we are, unique as we are, when each one of us is using our gifts and abilities that that highlights the, the unity that we have. So that the diversity makes the unity all the more beautiful. And we are to use our gifts to that end. So are you using your gifts? Are all of us using our gifts? You do have them. And therefore, we should be using them It should not be the case that within the church, it's 20% of the members of the congregation who are doing 80% of the work of the church, of the service in the church. It ought not be that there are members who have little, if anything, to do with the rest of the body Child of God, Christ has given you gifts. And we need them. There's no one here who's worthless or unimportant. We need your gifts. We need them now more than ever. And what is more, because the gifts came from Christ, you may be sure he will expect an account of how we use them. How did you use the gifts that I gave you? Did you use them simply for yourself? Did you go and bury them in a field and thereby squander them? Out of love for Christ, and with a view to serving Him, we are to use the gifts He has given us. But perhaps you think, well, I want to use gifts and abilities, but I'm not sure I have them or I'm not sure what gifts I have. I do not yet know my place in the church. I do not yet know my particular function, the thing that I'm good at. How then can I possibly serve if I don't even know what gifts I have? Well, that is a legitimate question that arises in the hearts of many, especially perhaps the young people or the young adults in the church. How am I supposed to serve? Where do I fit in? Well, in response... I believe it's best to look for opportunities rather than trying to figure out your gifts. That is, instead of engaging in this sort of introspection where I'm looking at my life, looking at my heart, and trying to figure out what am I good at? What are my gifts? What are my abilities? Look out and look for opportunities. Where is there a need? Where is there a place I can serve? And start there. And in the process, I trust you will come to find, you will come to discover what your gifts and abilities are. And if it's motivation that you lack, then look at Christ and consider how He used His gifts and abilities. for He certainly has them. He is the Almighty Son of God. He was given the Spirit without measure so that for Christ, it's not as though He has strengths over here, but weaknesses over there, but He has every gift and ability perfectly. And what's more important is that He used them. Not for Himself. He certainly did not squander them, but He used them to accomplish our salvation. He used them for the advantage and the salvation of His people. He used them for you, child of God. Will you not use your gifts and abilities for Him? out of thankfulness for what He has done for us, let us now serve Him by seeking to serve His body with whatever gifts, whatever abilities, whatever graces He has given to us. Amen. Father, we thank Thee that Thou hast blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. And what is more, we thank Thee for giving to each one of us Different gifts, different abilities. And we pray that Thou wouldst work in our hearts thankfulness that spurs us on to use these different gifts and abilities to serve Thee by serving the church. Hear this prayer for Christ's sake. Amen.